0: Well, this is The New Activist, a weekly show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a joy to be with you today. Happy New Year! It is uh, just so good to have you back. I hope you enjoyed the six live shows that we did. Those were so fun to do. They were also, side note, recorded all in one day, back to back to back. I was so crazy by (laughs) by the end of those. It was so much talking, but what amazing conversations, and thank you so much for all of your awesome feedback on them. Today, I can't wait for you to hear from our guest. Our guest, his name is Ben Higgins, and you may be thinking, Ben Higgins? I know that name. That's right, he is The Bachelor. And he is also just a man of deep faith and conviction. And I, I, you know, I wasn't planning on having someone from The Bachelor on. I am not necessarily a part of The Bachelor Nation. I'm not opposed to it, I just don't watch it a lot. But when I heard his story, I was just really impressed at how he is leveraging Uh, just his immense fame to do something incredible. He has started a company that is called very simply generous and each generous product is designed specifically to create and multiply good in the world. And so they've got this really extensive and thoughtful business model that goes from the consumer side, from our side, right? Buying coffee, buying cups, buying different products, and they're gonna to continue to expand the product line to the manufacturer. They're they're treating the entire process with a great deal of, well, of generosity. And so I was really impressed by his story and how he has leveraged his fame. And so we get to hear from Ben today as we start the new year off together. Also, as a special treat, Ben is being interviewed by my dear friend Eileen Campbell. Eileen and I have worked together for a long time at International Justice Mission. She is the National Director of Advocacy and Mobilization, and she is just one of the most thoughtful, incisive people that I know. She has a really great radio voice. I feel like she just is destined to be on NPR one of these days. And she's just someone that every time we are in the same place, we just end up having really good, long conversations, and she had never seen an episode of The Bachelor, and I thought well it would be really interesting to hear how Eileen asks Ben Higgins questions and it will be. So here is the interview that we get to listen to together between Eileen Campbell and Mr. Ben Higgins.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. Um, I would really like to start toward the beginning of your story. You uh, grew up in a really small town in Indiana. Would you just describe for us what it was like for you growing up there?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, well, thanks for letting me come on. And it is a really cool privilege and honor now to to be able to be a part of some things that allow me to talk to people uh, who are also kind of operating in the same social responsibility, missions-driven world. So I'm excited to, to kind of dive in. But I did, I grew up in Indiana. And uh, I grew up in a town called Warsaw, Indiana, which uh, is is pretty small. When I was living there, it was about 10,000 people. Um, it's a really odd town, though. And so for me, uh, growing up in a small town was great because you knew everybody. But Warsaw is actually the orthopedic capital of the world. So it has mm-hmm. five massive, very profitable companies. And so you have this little town in the middle of nowhere. We're the biggest town within 35 miles of us. And it also has five headquarters of multi-million-dollar companies, and so the wow. uh, kind of the dichotomy in the town is odd. It also, at one point, was the Methodist capital of the world, so it's incredibly huh. conservative. Um, and so you had just some weird dynamics that I, growing up, never realized. Now looking back, I, I can definitely tell how odd they were.
1: Huh? That's interesting. And when you when you were living there, when you were a kid, and you pictured your future. Did you imagine yourself living in Warsaw? What did you dream about?
2: You know, I'm an only child. So I think it played a big role in in what I was dreaming about. I, I really, and I, it's kind of weird to say, I didn't really understand there's a world that existed outside of my hometown. Mm-hmm. I knew there were places that we'd go visit. I knew that there were people living all over the United States. It never occurred to me that I would be away from, from Warsaw. My family was there. My friends were there. There was comfort and safety there. Um, me leaving town was, was a big deal because I, I was attached to my family. And I didn't know how else to feel comfortable and, uh, and comforted without having them around. So mm-hmm. yeah, growing up, the, the dreams of moving, and now I live in Denver, dreams of moving or traveling the world were, were foreign to me.
1: Mm. So travel has, of course, become a huge part of your life, now, but when did you when did you first kind of get exposed to the world outside Warsaw? Uh,
2: you, I, well, honestly, uh, it's crazy to say, and it's it's and and at sometimes I feel almost shameful and ashamed to say it. It was uh, college started the process. Um, mm-hmm. I went to Indiana University, but that was four hours from home. It was in Indiana. It's a great place. I made it comfortable um, in my own little way, and it wasn't until really I started doing television when I was on The Bachelorette. And we started to travel the, the world. You have no phone, no internet, no contact to television. And so you're completely separated and isolated from anything you've ever known. And you're thrown into this world that is completely different than anything you've ever known. And for me, that was very uncomfortable. Um, but it also allowed me to be intentional and grow uh, in tremendous ways. Because I had nothing else to lean back on other than maybe my, my relationship with uh, a God who was with me, but also kind of myself. And, uh, and that was when my eyes started to open up that I, one, could travel the world, two, that there was interesting things to see and interesting people to be around. And that three, and this is the big one for me, was that my tiny worldview that had kind of been formed from Indiana no longer uh, was proven to be true the world was a lot more complex than I had ever imagined.
1: In what kind of ways? Like, Were there some really specific revelations that became clear to you through those initial travel experiences?
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, one was that I realized that not everybody shares the same faith that I do. Um, mm-hmm. So growing up in, in Warsaw, as I said, it was a Methodist capital of the world, it was uh, more odd for you to be cons- consider yourself not a Christian than a Christian. Um, and so, one thing I realized is that that kind of balance in, in this world felt like it switched, especially when I went on the show where there was a lot more non believers in Jesus than believers. That was interesting. First time I'd surrounded myself with people like that. The, the next uh, was uh, it was kind of this little seed that had been placed in me at a young age. I had traveled to Honduras with uh, my, my church at around 15 on a missions trip. And I'd seen at that point, seen poverty up close Mm. and personal for the first time, um, and extreme poverty, um, for the first time. And so I had had this little seed in my head, this memory of that, but I was young and I was naive and I didn't process it well. And, uh, and so those two things together really disrupted me from the core once they kind of came in parallel or collided.
1: It's so interesting thinking about those like initial seeds that get planted when we're kids that uh, you know come to full circle later on in our lives and um, thinking about like that that initial discomfort you felt being exposed to the reality of poverty as a kid and then juxtaposing it with you know your experience on the show which of course it. At least to people on the outside, just looks so glamorous. You know, you're living such a kind of rarefied <laughs> existence. Um, were you thinking about, like, or did it come back to you that those initial experiences you'd had as a as a child, as you started traveling the world again through the show?
2: Um, it did. You know, I think if if and I've, I've never really processed this well. So if I'm speaking and it's not making complete sense, I'm having a hard time articulating because I haven't been able to process it fully. But I think. What the show did or that time on, on the show, it separated me from everything I ever knew or everything that I had, had ever, I guess, um, put up in front of my eyes to block me from what was really happening around the world. Um, I, was, I was naive in a lot of ways. And so what the show did is it broke down those barriers. Uh, one of the beautiful things about being on The Bachelor and Bachelorette is it's very uh, therapeutic uh, because you're speaking every day about yourself. You're sharing some of your most intimate moments with some of these producers who are interviewing you and trying to get to know you and trying to learn more about you. You're talking about love and your hopes and dreams and your needs and your wants and your desires and your fears. And a lot of times in life, at least for me, I had never been given or I never, I never took the opportunity to do that. So I used to start to really learn a lot about yourself. And as I learned more about myself, I realized that I had some some really uh, some deep underlying anger towards. Uh, the God above that I believed in because of that seed that was placed in me at a young age, because I had seen poverty up close and personal for the first time and knew that it wasn't right and knew that I couldn't make sense of it because he wasn't showing himself to everybody around the the globe. And I was running into people who really just strongly did not believe in him. That started to anger me. And I didn't realize I had that inside of me. And so until I started to break down the barriers and talk about it.
1: That's so interesting. So as you're going through this process of like uncovering yourself so that you can describe yourself and kind of almost package yourself to people on the show really clearly, right? Which is, I, I imagine, part of the challenge is you have to say really clearly, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, this is what I want for my future. But through that process of figuring out how to say that really clearly, you it sounds like you had this opportunity to get back in touch with that that seed, that 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 sort of bit of discomfort you encountered as a kid.
2: Yeah, I guess some would say, um, for the first time, you really, you know, that you, we all have maybe a moment where we really see ourselves for the first time for who we are. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times that we, we, you know, we live life, we go through uh, our everyday existence and, and we do, you know, show personality and we laugh and we, we soak stuff in. But there's a moment, I think, for most people where they look themselves in the mirror and they go, I finally understand myself a little bit more. And I think for me, that was it. It was just the ability for me to take a step away from what I knew, what was safe, and and understand who I was a little bit better than I ever had before.
1: And so here in the U.S., it's been a couple of years now since um, The Bachelor, that season ended. And, you know, here in our country, you're Ben Higgins, you're super famous, you're beloved um, Bachelor, Um and you could probably make a whole living off of that identity and all the opportunities that come with that. And what I think is so interesting is that you've chosen to be in relationship with people who are on the margins, um, which is a pretty radical pivot. Um, was it always your plan to kind of leverage your platform in this way?
2: Um, well, no. <laughs> i <laughs> Not at all, I, you know, I think to start explaining this next step um and I, and I know that people out there listening are from all all probably d- different backgrounds and walks and beliefs. None of what I do, and this is a part that people get confused with. none of this makes sense without um a real interaction um, with jesus and, and what I mean by that is i just I really believe that jesus is is the Son of God, and I really believe that he exists, and I really believe he wants what's best for us. And I also believe there was some really cool, um, seeds of knowledge that he placed on me, um, to give me a, a clear picture of what my path could look like and would look like. So yes, um, if we just look at this at service level, there is, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? I mean, we could make a lot of money doing a lot of different things, um, and, and living on, on this kind of, uh, newfound platform. But none of that made sense to me because none of it was increasing what I felt was my calling in life, which was to bring the kingdom of God here to earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just to, just to be clear, like as we do talk about this, that is where my background comes from is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, so if you're like logically, what in the heck is he doing? Well, yeah, sometimes not logic doesn't make sense. So, yeah, I, I think what what happened now is that this bachelor exists. It builds this massive platform for you. The Bachelor, the Bachelorette is unique and um, it builds a platform, but it's it's smaller. And then I'm announced as The Bachelor. And there's this weird season of life as as you start being The Bachelor where everything is about you. Uh, mm. And it is euphoric. Uh, it, it is. And, and I, I definitely have an ego. I'm definitely prideful. Uh, and, I, and I don't hate that about myself um, sometimes. But in this situation, if you have any of that inside of you, it is enhanced to a level that is uncontrollable. I mean, you're on the side. I remember going to New York City on a a trip with my family, and the whole side of a building is my full body uh, in Times Square. Uh, It's wild, and people are Mm. celebrating you and criticizing you. And for the first time, a small little guy from Indiana who doesn't quite get life and doesn't really understand much about the world is now kind of catapulted into this whole newfound fame. Uh, and it's, it's great. Like I said, until you kind of that euphoria runs out and you realize that this has all been about you. And I also started to feel the burden of carrying the weight of it all being about me. Mm-hmm. And I asked myself the question one morning, what is this all for? So this is pre-show. And then I go on the show and I found a, a partner who I really love, who I cared mm-hmm. about deeply. And so it made sense on why um why did the show well this is to find my partner uh you know this was all part of the plan the platform that comes from this is whatever as long as i have my person well that faded uh as well and it left me asking what was this whole thing again for and at that point i realized that this whole thing uh i don't know if it was ever meant to be for uh advocacy but I knew that none of it would make sense if I kept making it about myself, that I had to make it about something bigger than myself. And that is uh, using this platform to try to fight and speak and to be a voice for the unknown, for the people who don't feel known, for the people who are who have been uh, forgotten, uh, for the people who just can't speak up. And so that's where this – it just was a whole new mission and a whole new purpose for me. And and that's been the purpose that I've kind of been living in now for the last uh, year and a half.
1: Amazing. So, so tell me about Generous. This is the company that, company that you founded. Um, so tell us, what is it? And why did you decide to focus your, um, your energies and your passions in this particular way?
2: Yeah. Um, well, so Generous International is now the company that uh, I, uh, I operate. Um, it became my full-time job in January. It is not my pay job. I'm a volunteer. Um, okay. And I'll tell you how we can make that happen or how we make that happen. But, you know, all of, as what I said before, all of, you know, the bachelor stuff was great, but today I no longer am really known as uh, the bachelor. I, I feel like people come up to me more often now and say, well, they love generous international. And that's the best compliment anybody can give me right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, eight years ago, my buddy started a nonprofit called humanity and hope United, humanity and hope United, uh, is an organization that uh, partners with communities um, in Honduras. And so these communities have been uh, without water, food, access to healthcare, access to education, jobs. That's kind of the standards. And we go in and we sit with them and we say, okay. This is a partnership. We we can't give you anything. We don't just want to hand you a food box and leave. What we want to do is partner with you to build a sustainable future. So we're here for the long haul. We'll be here for 10, 15 years if it takes that. So our very first interaction with Humanity Help United in these communities is what do you need, what do you want, and what do you dream of? Once they mm-hmm. tell us that, we take that back to the United States. We start to strategically plan what this could look like. Then we go back and we say, what is the very first one of these kind of maybe priorities that you want to help attack first and, and a lot of times it's clean water or it's access to jobs it's access mm-hmm. to jobs we build small businesses in the communities uh typically agriculture and then they um, we can sell the products the groceries we can build them an income that they can pay for their education healthcare, and then access to clean water if it's clean water then we put in clean water wells and they start leasing access to water from us for a very small amount but it allows everybody to have ownership. It allows everybody to have um, a purpose in, in what is happening. So Humanity Hope United, anyways, is an organization that I care a lot about and I believe in. Uh, I, I see the fruit of it, and I see it working, and I see it building sustainable communities. And, and I'm passionately uh, excited about what the future for Humanity Hope can look like. But this is where things get crazy, Uh when we started Humane Hope United, uh, well, eight years, I mean, I guess three years ago, if you looked at Humane Hope United, uh, it was a $50,000 a year organization. After the bachelor and the advocacy of a couple people who are active actively involved with Humanity Hope, including the founder and um, his employees, we were able to increase the funding to a half million dollars a year. That's incredible. Wow. And I mean, uh, just a massive growth. We needed it because we were trying to scale and go into new communities and, and but what we all realized was that, you know, the Bachelor also had a big part in that. Uh we were able to to speak on a huge platform now about the organization. The Bachelor had a huge piece in that and I'm not gonna be the bachelor forever. I don't wanna be the bachelor forever. I also <laughs> don't think anybody it's healthy for anybody to live in a world where it's dependent on them to be famous forever. Mm-hmm. So we came back and um started planning on trying to find ways to sustainably fundraise for the organization. And that's where Generous came in. So we created Generous International, which is a for-profit company with the idea that we could build a business with the model that we could develop the margin, sell different products with stories behind them. So we sell coffee from nine different countries, all single origin, all traceable, um, all specialty grade. So it's all the highest graded coffee in the world. We could sell T-shirts made out of plastic bottles by single mothers in Haiti who are paid $15 an hour plus retirement insurance and time off. We sell mugs that give back to the uh, African Republic, it gives clean water to them. Uh, so we have all these products that have stories behind them. We thought we could sell these products and then donate a large portion of the revenue, 10%, um, to nonprofits that are doing something sustainable in the world. And uh, 10% ends up being 100% of our profits. But 10% of revenue, actually, um, if you know kind of in more of the business world, that actually means a little bit more than 100% profit because 100% profit can be uh, ambiguous. But so we give 10% pro- revenue right off the top to, to these organizations um, just to help them sustainably fundraise so that they know that a year from now, if we run our business well, they'll be expecting this amount of donation from Generous if they can get this amount of donation from generous and they can enter into this many communities and make this much of an impact. So that's where generous was formed. That's where it came from. And today we are, uh, officially, um, 10 months in to operation and generous has been the craziest, wildest, coolest ride I've ever been on.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, And that's, I mean, that sustainability piece is so huge um, for organizations. The other thing that I thought was interesting about your company's model is that it sounds like unlike most donors, you focus on taking care of an organization's operating expenses so that all of their donor dollars can go directly toward the program work is that is that right and how did you how did you arrive there
2: yeah it is right well one is i'm on a with humane hope my, one of my jobs as the board member was to help fundraise and i just really hated for fundraising for salaries it's just never so hard and, and nobody who doesn't work in the, who nobody who who hasn't been actively involved in the nonprofit world understands how important it is that you can hire really good talent Mm-hmm. um and then really good talent is typically going to cost money and when you pay that money it's actually going to enhance the impact of your organization unless you're in it they there it's really impossible to explain it to anybody and so what we realized at generous was we had the ability and we had i guess the force uh, the the knowledge to know the people that we're hiring at these organizations are really kind of the engines that make this thing run we want to support them in the best ways we can. and I know how painful it is to fundraise for these positions. So what if Jenner is just committed to doing the boring stuff? We, we feel just as much um, joy from donating to organizations to say, hey, pay for your paper and pencils, pay for your salary salaries, pay for your software with our donation so that when individuals are donating, they feel the ownership and the purpose and the mission and in the, and the projects. And that's great. Generous, generous will fall on the sword for the operations. I'm good with that. I'm actually thrilled about that because I know how important it is. But yes, you are right. We want to. Our goal, uh, our first big benchmark, will be one day when we f- fully fund the operational expenses of Humanian Hope United um, to completion.
1: That's great. Yeah. No. I mean, certainly understand the value of funding the the, you know, the backend stuff that isn't quite as exciting as the other stuff. Our founder Gary Haugen often says, uh, that the book of love is long and boring and, uh, just yep. affirming just all the, the nitty gritty stuff behind the scenes that allows an organization to, um, be transformative in the world. So that's incredible that you've decided to, to fund all that backend stuff. That's so critical. Um, you, you've said that, you know, you're your journey, which is such a wild ride that it doesn't really make sense um, without understanding you as a person of faith. And I'm curious how your faith has been uh, impacted by being in relationship with these uh, communities that you've begun to partner with.
2: Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, one is, um, you know, there's some, there's some really core elements to, to Jesus's message that I think uh, we can debate so many things, but there's some core elements that just are very pure, clear, and that stand out. One is uh, that we are meant to serve Uh, and, and service can look a bunch of different ways to a bunch of different people. But when we are giving people more than we are taking personally, there is more joy that ends up flowing into both parties or at least to the, the server. Um, And so for me, as my relationship with these communities is enhanced, while also kind of uh, in parallel, my relationship with Jesus is uh, enhancing or changing at times. Or, you know, I've seen that service brings me the most joy. It also makes the most sense in the world that we live in. And I also believe it is the way that that we can also change the world. If we all started to purely out of the goodness and love of our heart, started to serve people without any expectation for anything. Um, so, so that's been incredible. The other part is seeing how, uh, simplicity, um, can promote, um, clarity. And in those communities, you know, there's often not a lot going on and, uh, they still deal with the everyday human struggles that we have. They still deal with the family issues and, but they also, um, there's not distraction, there's not TV and there's not phones and there's not internet and there's, there's, it's very, uh, relationship driven. And I think when you can focus on people and you just take away all the other distractions, life enhances to a level you never imagined. When you look somebody in the eyes and you, and you ask them that when you really just want to be entertained and just to listen to their stories, their full stories, the world becomes such a more beautiful place. And so for me and, and my relationship with these communities, just sitting down with people without distraction and saying, tell me who you are, is something that is a practice that I've now tried to implement here in the United States, but it's something that's harder to do here. I've realized that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the third piece that you always hear people say is that you know you typically get more joy from going to these places who maybe aren't as, didn't win the birth lottery or hasn't been as fortunate as some of us here in the United States. They have a joy uh, and a hope uh, around them that is contagious. And so you oftentimes come back feeling changed, feeling encouraged by the people who you thought you were going down to encourage, which I think is humbling. And it also proves that that we aren't the saviors. Um, Mm -hmm. And then finally, the very final piece that I think is is important to know is that human injustice can be fought against, that Mm -hmm. we don't have to sit back and do nothing. And so... When I say human injustice, I'm talking global poverty. I'm, I'm talking sex trafficking. I'm talking lack of water, food, education, healthcare. care. Uh, those things, they are solvable. Like they can be fixed, but they take real people doing real things together to do it, to actually make something happen. And, and I think as a young child, when I first saw poverty for the first time, I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know if it was fixable. I didn't know if we could actually make an impact to solve some of these things that are burdening the people of of, uh, the developing world. But now as I've grown up, I've seen solutions be in place. I've seen relationships build um, in these communities, and I've seen action being taken. And as a result, injustice has been fought against and at some level um, has decreased. So those are maybe yeah. the four things that I've taken. You've
1: been able to see real transformation,
2: a hundred percent. And when you see real transformation, I just think it encourages all of us, uh, me at least me personally, to say, "Wow, this is when we want to talk about like living life and its rawest, grittiest, realist element: transformation is that like fighting mm-hmm. with people to transform not only yourself but to help transform their lives into." to what they dream, what they need, what they dream, uh, what they want, what they dream, and what they need of, that to me is where life gets real.
1: That's uh, interesting. So I can imagine also that there, I don't want to assume this is true of you, but I can imagine that there's a possibility that fame could be accompanied by a certain kind of loneliness. Um, and I'm wondering if the work that you're doing through Generous has Maybe giving you an opportunity to build community in a new way.
2: Yeah, it really has. I mean, I think you're you're spot on. You see it kind of um, just around um, in the world of of celebrity. And so I've gotten to be a part of a couple of really cool things and go to you know the award shows and the music shows, and those are all awesome. I love going; they're a blast. But mm-hmm. what you always see at these are people walking the red carpet with people around them. Um, with people reaching out, Oh, can I get a picture? Oh, can I ask you this question? Whatever. And you end up just seeing this like kind of, um, glaze come over the celebrity's eyes and they just, they just go through the motions and they don't, it doesn't look to me from the outside looking in that anybody is actively just sitting down with them and saying, just tell me your story for the sake of, I just want to love on you well and know you better. So it does get very lonely, especially when you're in the heat of it. Um, but what Generous uh, has done for me and what Traveling the World has kind of done for me is in the peak of my fame, it's allowed me to see very clearly that I am not the biggest thing out there, that I never will be the biggest thing out there, that I should never pursue being the biggest thing out there, and that I should never act like the biggest thing out there. And so it's really, really forcefully uh, – not I'm definitely not naturally the most humble person in the world. It's forcefully humbled me to go open up my hands and go. I always need community. I always need people. I always need my God above to make any sense of this world. And so, I, you know, my comfort today is no longer in what I know. It's honestly in what I don't know. But what I know, um, the people around me and my God above will be always with me through. So, yeah, fame is lonely and it forced me to a place of going, I can't do this alone.
1: Mm, that's great. Now, so you you travel a ton, you're very busy as the CEO of Generous and then I imagine there's also like this whole aspect of, you know, satisfying bachelor nation, I'm sure you're um, sought after all the time. Um, so it's sort of a two-part question, how do you recharge like on a practical level? Where do you like, get your energy and then what is inspiring you these days?
2: Yeah, definitely. Well. To get really real with you I um, I recharge um, one by connection by genuine connection so by people mm-hmm. um, you know those moments where you really know that the, the 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 room is full of people really caring so that's one way I recharge the the maybe the best way and this is just a, a weird like practical practice that I've done mm-hmm. since college is when I have been traveling or when i've been around people for x amount of days straight i come home i turn off all the lights in my house this is gonna get weird so stay with me Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. i put on two candles that i have sitting in front of my couch i pull out a tobacco pipe that i've had since college um, and i pour a glass of bourbon and I turn on music. I usually turn on like an Amos Lee or a Bon Iver or something like tallest man on earth, like some folky indie music that like okay. really digs into the soul. Um huh. And I just let like my mind go. I just let everything leave me. And I just think about where I'm at, what I'm doing, who I haven't like cared for recently. And I just allow that time to be about digging back into who I am as a person. Uh, mm-hmm. And it takes me... Those sessions last me anywhere from three hours to five hours to 45 minutes, but all of a sudden, and it happens every time, and it hasn't failed me yet, and that's why I keep doing it, is all of a sudden <laughs> I know that I'm, I'm recharged. I'm, I'm ready to go again. All, it just mm-hmm. hits me. I'm ready. And I'm, and then the next day I wake up and it's back at it, and I feel good again, and I feel clear again, and I feel focused again. I love it. Yeah, it's it's great. I don't know why or how. Somebody asked me the other day how I found this practice, and I think it just went back to college, um, where at some point like I was done running rampant and and just exhausting myself by going out every night, and so I started to stay in with a buddy of mine, uh, who's one of my best friends in the world, and we used to just have these conversations and these talks, and I realized how just kind of refueling they were for me and i think that's kind of where this practice started and it's really really like cathartic for me like very meditative i don't know why but it's it's those things when they are all is done and i sit down on my couch it's just like the world makes more sense i don't i don't know it's weird but it, but i do it
1: no totally yeah i feel i'm you know someone who's like um uh, interacting with people all the time as an organizer, um, I love getting energy through connections with people. But as a total introvert too, like I, I definitely also need to recharge uh, in solitude. So totally makes sense. And then, so so that's kind of how you recharge your your physical, mental, spiritual self. And then, are there things that you're Reading or encountering now these days that just also inspire you on a really deep level.
2: Definitely, yeah. Um, you know, there's two authors right now that are kind of speaking to me. Um, I love Bob Goff. Uh, Bob Goff mm-hmm. has became uh, somebody that, who's a distant mentor. He's came on my podcast, which is a pop culture podcast about The Bachelor called Almost Famous on iHeartRadio. He came on that podcast. He reached out to me to say, "Hey, I hear you talk about Jesus. Like, I want to talk to you about whatever you're interested in. Like, you're the coolest dude ever." Um, and so yeah. he is somebody who, uh, I read to s- read about how people are action focused and taking steps to show love. So he's been really cool to read recently. Um, but somebody I'm really diving deep into is Richard Rohr. Uh, oh. I, I, I just love Richard Rohr. I love his contemplative practices. I'm reading yeah. a book right now called falling upward and it's about aging and, sure. It's a book that anybody who it's it's really about the first second and second seasons of life that's how he breaks it up and it's about explaining um, how we do these seasons of life not well but how we can do them poorly to make the most of our lives and it's a really cool book to, that I'm reading I recommend anybody out there listening that if you're at any age anywhere from 18 to I don't know people today are a lot smarter than I ever was so like you could probably be 13 and understand the book I don't know how smart people are today, but if you feel like you can dive deep into a book that is a little bit uh, tougher to read, anywhere from fifteen to eighty-five, I recommend reading this book. It is, it was, is about aging. Is about prepping for the seasons of your life. It is about doing these seasons well. It is about being uh, contemplative on where you're at and what you're learning. So Richard Rohr right now is kind of digging into my soul. Why Bob Goff is kind of, I feel like, encouraging me to move forward.
1: Mm. And in speaking to you right now, like as you're sort of contemplating the next phase or season of your life.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I'm going to be 30 next year, which, okay. uh, you know, is it's still uh, it's just a, a, an age where even as a 18 year old, you're like, oh, 30s, is old, right? I mean, you don't get okay. it until you get there. And so yeah. I realized that, you know, the, the childish ways of my life should be over. Um, my childlike spirit, i never want to leave and I want to be continue to play and have fun and, and, and be, um, a ta- like pretty irresponsible, honestly, I just want to enjoy it. Um, <laughs> but I know that some of the things that, uh, that the, the, the things that I was doing are no longer, uh, I no longer have the ability to do, especially now, now at the platform, um, that I have, I think there's a responsibility to that. Um, so, yeah, I think as I turn thirty, this has been healthy for me to read. I think also as I do enter into a new season where, you know my I don't know if my fame is fading. I don't know if it will fade completely. I, I who knows? Uh, but what I do know is that I am changing seasons of life and that I need to be prepared for that, and that I need to be um, active and what these seasons look like. So I think this book on aging or on progressing forward in life is healthy for me just to know where I'm at, who I am and how I could move forward healthy in a healthy way. I
1: imagine a lot of people hear your story and it seems I'm sure kind of unattainable. Um, you became very famous very quickly and and now you are leveraging that fame for the sake of other people. Um, what would you say to those people who might be listening, who really want to live out of a spirit of generosity? They want to serve others, um, but it won't necessarily—they uh, won't necessarily achieve fame.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think it's great that if anybody out there out there listening is actually like, "Wow, like I want to be Ben," that's—I just tell yourself, to take a step back. I mean, I signed up for a reality television show, and somehow today people take me more legitimate. Than they did before. I don't know how that happened. Uh, it's really great. I don't, it's awesome. I get to do, you know, the job I love and um, do some podcasts that I really love. But yeah, I mean, I did reality television. So it's, it's not exactly what you associate with, uh, with anything um, impactful. But uh, what I would say to anybody out there listening, and this is going to sound fluffy, but I, I hope that you know this is coming from a, a real place is you matter. Like we need people. We need hands and feet. We need each one of us who are broken, who are hurting, who are confused, but have stories to come together to build this beautiful stained glass picture. So if we're all broken pieces of glass, if we come together, the picture could be absolutely magnificent. And I think there, all of us, one thing I've learned about people is um, I just spoke this weekend at Politicon, which is a big political conference in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. And I spoke on social responsibility and how we can change the world if we just take a step forward. And one thing I realized uh, before my speech was that we do have a lot of things in common, I think, as people. But one of the core elements is that we all have something that really angers us in this world. It might be big or small. It could be about animals. It could be about people. It could be about um, you know the environment but we all have something that really really upsets us uh deep in our core and so my my i guess response on how we could all change the world or how you could have an impact or how you could have a purpose is to stand up against whatever injustice you see fit in this world today as long as it is healthy and as long as it is is sustainable and as long as it is is pro- progressing the world closer to love and not um, hate or divisiveness. So what I tell anybody would be to sit down, think about what angers you and then to step up and take a step forward in action against it um, because you do matter a lot. We, we need you. We have with generous, we have over 40 volunteers who actively are part of our mission who help run everything from marketing to fundraising, to um, events, to our website, those people are quiet behind the scenes people, but their impact is way greater than uh, mine will ever be. And uh, and so unless you knew that, you would never know how generous moves and grooves. And that's because of these people who are like a lot of people listening saying, I just want to use my skill sets to fight something uh, against something that I think is an injustice. And I want to partner with organizations or people to do that. I mentioned it early on real quick was that I don't get paid from generous. And I don't. I hope one day I can. Um, we've we've grown tremendously, and we definitely could pay me, but we were built with the idea that we want to give back as much as possible. And so, the way that I end up getting paid is through podcasts. So I do work for iHeart, and I'm able to complement my um, income with Generous by working for these podcasts because the podcasts take up four hours a week. The rest of the time, I can work fully and solely on Generous to make things happen. So it's kind of cool to see how this volunteered network at Generous has now built into a legitimate company um, that operates, uh, pretty efficiently. Um, so anyways, if you're out there listening, you're like, I want to have a purpose. I want to have a mission. Um, you can have it. You just have to step up.
1: Mm. And it sounds like as you did pay really close attention to what something, whatever is making you angry or uncomfortable.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I, I, that's the best way I know right now on how to tell people to pursue a purpose is, Mm. You know, we can go through a thousand practices. I'm trying to find what next career step is out there, or whatever um, that is. But for me, and, and I guess the path that I have, and I could prove myself wrong at some point. But right now, the healthiest way I know how to pursue purpose is to find out what angers you and then go fight against it and to serve with the mindset of love and hope and joy, whatever um, injustice that is.
1: And then, for someone who's listening and, and wants to take a really practical next step in their life toward generosity, I know this is an, an idea you've thought really deeply about. What would you offer them?
2: Um, well, one is go to generouscoffee.com and buy a coffee or t shirts or mugs. Mm-hmm. Um, we would really appreciate it, and it would do <laughs> some great things for this world. So, that's one way to show generosity is something that you uh, are already doing on an everyday basis. Most of us who drink coffee, uh, start choosing to drink life-changing coffee. So anyways, generouscoffee.com. That's one. I had to do that. <laughs> the second is uh, to start living life with the focus of giving more than you're ever taking. And so what I mean by that is in your head, uh, dying to your own um, selfish desires and to start focusing on... Um, maybe the needs of others as well so find ch- time to recharge find time to build up your own um, confidence in your own um, energy but to really maybe start to operate in your daily life without a sole focus on how do i get ahead how do i move forward um, how do i make things better it's maybe about no longer about you um, but maybe about how can you impact the world um, to make it a better place and so i think that's generosity and, and in essence is just giving up the selfish desires to pursue something a lot bigger and a lot greater than anything you could ever dream of and mm-hmm. i want to i want to encourage you with this i believe this um i can't promise it but i believe this i believe that when you start to do that when you start to fight for something a lot bigger than yourself uh, when you when you start to fight for something a lot bigger than yourself uh, more joy, more hope, um, more peace, and more understanding will come somehow, some way, um, to the life that you're living.
0: Well, that was Eileen Campbell interviewing Ben Higgins. What a good person. I appreciate Eileen and the conversation that she had with Ben. And I really appreciate kind of the the very essence of what I feel like Ben was saying throughout the interview in that, I mean, he, he stumbled onto this reality show and this reality TV life, right? And he did it and he rode the wave of that success, but he used what he had and used what he has to, to, to serve other people, to serve the world around him. And I think that it's really applicable for all of us. If we can give money, we should give money. If we can write or podcast, if we happen to be on a reality show, or even if we just have a spare hour in the morning to go and help our neighbor to use our voice to post things on social media, I feel like maybe... I don't know how I feel about New Year's resolutions, but I think that might be a good New Year's resolution for the new activist audience, right? To leverage what we have for the sake of other people. I appreciate Ben for taking time and teaching us today. To keep up with Generous and with Ben Higgins, go to generousmovement.com. I would encourage you to go and shop. Their coffee is very good, uh, as well as everything else. So go shop. That's a good way to be generous. Buy some gifts for people. The conversation that started here will continue over on our social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. All of those handles are is all one word, New is I love the dialogue that happens there and would love to chat with you throughout the weeks and we're going to have some bonus content on all of those. So make sure that you are following along. A huge thank you to The Brilliance who scored today's episode. Their tour dates, music, merch, etc. can be found at thebrilliancemusic.com. Spoiler alert! I just interviewed the Brilliance for an upcoming show about uh, just what they are going to be doing in the world and how they are leveraging their lives. So I don't want to I don't want to give too much away, but they are incredible, and I would follow them on thebrilliancemusic.com. One last thing: if you are still listening to all of these credits, really. Uh, You have done such a great job about getting the word out about the show. Thank you for that. If you could, share on your social media and also head on over to iTunes and rate and review the show. It really does, through all of the special, weird Apple metrics, it helps people find the show. It puts us up on the list and it helps people kind of hear these conversations today. So thank you for doing that and thank you for continuing to share The New Activist. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Ben Higgins, my friend Eileen Campbell, and my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffoltz. Take care, friends.